I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. It's hard to forget the details, to stop imagining how those final hours must have felt. Sarah's kidnap, rape and murder was one of the most dreadful events in the 190-year history of the Metropolitan Police Service. For the Commissioner of the Metropolitan Police, Cressida Dick, the murder of Sarah Everard by one of her officers has led to a reckoning. I am absolutely horrified that this man used his position of trust to deceive and coerce Sarah. And I know you all are too. If her message was supposed to reassure the public, it failed. I'm calling on Cressida Dick to resign because I think that we need action to be taken to restore the bond of trust that there should be between women and the police who are supposed to make them safe. The government has now announced an inquiry. Its job, to find out how Wayne Cousins was allowed to join one of the most sensitive armed units at the Met. Were warning signs missed? How could this man be allowed to patrol the streets with a warrant card and a pair of handcuffs? What the inquiry won't answer is how women can ever trust the police again. You're listening to Stories of Our Times from The Times and The Sunday Times. I'm Manveen Rana. Today, policing in the dock. What's wrong with a Met? He exploited his power, handcuffing and falsely arresting Sarah and driving her to her death. It makes you think, like, that that could have been me. What happened to Sarah is really brutal, really heartless. I can't trust them now. You were seeing this stuff about the officers on the WhatsApp group. You've got to come down very hard on them. Should we believe in the police? Should we trust in the police? Yes, I do. The Met released advice yesterday for women concerned if approached by a single plainclothes police officer. The advice waved down a bus a run into a house. I think that Cressida Dick has got to very quickly, I have to say I was incredibly disappointed with her statement, trust is very badly damaged and it won't come back without proper public answers. My name is Josh Glancy. I am a special correspondent for the Sunday Times. And Josh, this week you've been writing about 
the police. We seem to have reached a real crisis point. Cresta Dick is still commissioner of, of the Met. Mm. Why is that? Well, yes, that's a good question because a lot of people were asking me this. I mean, I was most of my WhatsApp conversations were about this. I think it was for people who were following the story, it was a conversation happening in a lot of pubs and cafes and stuff because Cresta Dick has had a pretty checkered career at the Met. I mean, she was in charge when the John Charles de Manessez killing happened after 7-7. He was 27, an electrician catching the tube to work. But he was wrongly being pursued by undercover officers. Minutes later, he was dead. She was obviously overseeing this Sarah Everard. I think we can probably call it a debacle, which included obviously not just the horrific murder of Sarah Everard, but the policing of the vigil for her. And the revelations we heard at the trial of Wayne Cousins, her murderer last week, that, you know, he was WhatsApping with other members of the police about pornography and that sort of thing, that he was sort of known as a bit of a weirdo, frankly. But nothing was done. That isn't necessarily Cressa fault. I mean, it's not her fault that Wayne Cousins was a sort of perverted psychopath. But she's the leader, uh, and the buck obviously stops with her. And there was a sense that a lot of people felt this ought to be what Lord Blair, the former Met Commissioner, called a Soham moment. Police in Britain say they're almost certain that the two bodies found on Saturday are those of the two girls who have been missing since August 4th. Two suspects are being held on suspicion of killing 10-year-old Holly Wells and Jessica Chapman. So if you remember the murder of Holly Wells and Jessica Chapman by Ian Huntley, and that caused this sort of huge wave of national soul-searching and a total change in the way people who look after children were vetted. And it was a real moment. And people felt that there should be a Sarah Everard moment as well, that the police should totally rethink the way it approaches issues of gender-based violence, that there needs to be an overhaul of police cult so that people like Wayne Cousins just can't get anywhere near the jobs he got to do, you know, policing parliament, policing embassies. And so that was the feeling. But all the smoke signals we were getting, both from the government and from the Met themselves, were that this was not going to be a certain moment. There's some breaking news to tell you this afternoon. Dame Cressida Dick is to continue to lead the Metropolitan Police until 2024. Cressida Dick's contract was renewed in early September. Confirmation just in from the Home Secretary, Priti Patel. She had a five-year spell but has now been granted a two-year extension. There's no indication she's going to resign or be pushed out of the job. On Monday, Cressida Dick announced plans for a wholesale review of culture and standards at the Met in the hope of rebuilding public trust. She also promised to review the Parliamentary and Diplomatic Protection Command, which Cousins was a member of. Another officer in the same unit was charged with rape on Sunday. But for many observers, it wasn't enough. A lot of people felt like we should get an inquiry similar to that that followed the murder of Stephen Lawrence, which led to the McPherson report. Critics said the Met shouldn't be allowed to mark its own homework. And so on Tuesday, the Home Secretary, Priti Patel, announced a separate, independent inquiry into the case. Recent tragic events have exposed unimaginable failures in policing. It is abhorrent that a Serbian police officer was able to abuse his position of power, authority and trust to commit such a horrific crime. It won't be a statutory inquiry led by a judge, the sort that can compel witnesses to give evidence under oath, which is what campaigners had hoped for. But the inquiry will ask why Cousins wasn't stopped earlier and why police vetting let him slip through the net. The public have a right to know what systematic failures 
enabled his continued employment as a police officer. We need answers as to why this was allowed to happen. We've sort of had a steady drip drip of information coming out about just how much Wayne Cousins' colleagues must have known about the sort of man he was, you know, hints at question marks that had been raised. Where are we with that? I mean, how much should the police or could the police have known? Well, there were reports of him driving without any trousers on. There were WhatsApp groups in which he was sharing sort of misogynistic and pornographic content. And he was clearly a guy around whom question marks had been raised. Obviously, that's not Cressida Dix. And this is the the Met has 40,000 people working for it. It's obviously not her purview to check on every single one of them. But it does raise some troubling questions about what they call canteen culture at the Met and other police forces. We learnt this week that there was another man accused of rape in the same unit as Cousins. Again, not Cressidic's fault, but leadership does determine cultures of organisations and leadership is also where the buck stops. So if the government and the Met want to show that they're serious about reform, it might not be the worst idea for Dick to say, well, actually, let's bring someone else in to do it. Maybe she can do it. But what we've seen so far doesn't really demonstrate a great appetite to do so. I mean, the Met had six months to work out what they were going to say about this trial. And one of the things they came up with was suggesting to women that they wave down a bus if they're feeling intimidated by a plainclothes police officer, which is just a bit silly, frankly, and and quite troubling that that's the best that they had in their locker. I mean, as a woman who lives in London, you know, that really didn't feel like a reassuring solution. No, I'm sure. And I mean, how many times have you successfully hailed down a bus just randomly in the middle of the street. It's not even how buses work. <laughs> it doesn't happen. <laughs> Mind-boggling, frankly. I think for a lot of women watching, you will have seen a female commissioner of the Met and thought, if anyone's going to be able to reform things, hopefully it would be a woman. And then you hear comments like that and you sort of think, I'm not sure you've understood what it feels like. Mm. Yeah, I think there is a sense that, and I heard this from some of Dick's ex-colleagues, getting women into top leadership positions is obviously a good thing uh, and there is more of that happening but it doesn't necessarily solve the problem there were ex-colleagues of Cressida who told me they were actually when they tried to raise some of these issues around violence towards women and misogyny in the police that she was one of the people who sort of shouted them down that's quite shocking the police force can be quite insular and it does kind of need to be in a way you know it needs to be an institution where people are loyal to each other it's tough work I think there's a bit of a culture where people are encouraged not to be people who complain, to not necessarily attack the institution from the inside because they're already facing a lot of incoming from outside, from politicians, from the media. So I think there is a sense that you don't criticise your own. How do you improve then? Well, that's the question, isn't it? On some level, you do need those bonds and that loyalty, but they can clearly go too far. Clearly, you also need accountability, openness and a willingness to change. And I think the Sarah Everard murder by one of their own, by someone who it was clearly quite apparent was was not a very healthy or well-adjusted individual, ought to be a kind of red flag. It probably ought to be that Stephen Lawrence kind of so a moment. But I don't know if it's going to be. One thing that has become apparent over this crisis is that there is a dearth of really talented leadership in police across the country and at the Met. So when the government and the Home Secretary Priti Patel were deciding whether to renew Cressida's contract, initially they weren't that keen. But Priti Patel, or this is what has been briefed by Home Office sources, looked at the alternatives and said, actually, we're probably better off sticking with Cressida. 
I mean, that doesn't instill a lot of confidence. No, it doesn't. There was a report in 2019 by the Inspectorate of the Constabulary, which is the organisation that exists basically to assess the police. And that report was quite damning. It was quite scathing about quality of training, nurturing top police for senior leadership. It said they weren't moving around enough. So, you know, traditionally something like the Met, you'd often hire some of your best officers from around the country, said that wasn't happening enough. Mm. There wasn't enough focus on nurturing elite talent an elite leadership for the police. And I think that's showing at the moment. I don't think people feel that there is a high enough calibre of top leaders. Because if there was, I think you probably would have seen Cressida Dick be replaced. Just politically, it's a really effective way for the government to say, look, new broom, we understand this is a crisis and we need a new approach. But if you don't have any faith in the alternatives, you're not going to do that. So if she is staying in place, we don't think there's any big change, certainly in personnel coming... What do we know about how she's dealing with the crisis so far? I mean, have the Met even got to a place where they're acknowledging how bad things have got? Are they being quite open about the problems they see? No, I don't think they are. I think that's the nub of the issue. They're in a defensive crouch. And this is certainly what a lot of... I spoke to a lot of ex-Met senior officers. And the general sense was, well, this is what the Met does. It curls up in a ball and waits for the problem to go away and hopes that there'll be another scandal in the press next week about something else and they can ride it out. This is not the first scandal the Met has. I mean, if you go back through other commissioners, you have to go back to the tenure of John Stevens in 2005 to find a Met commissioner who wasn't effectively forced out of his or her job. So you had Sir Paul Stevenson, Lord Blair, Bernard Hogan, how all preceded Dick and all effectively had to resign. That's so interesting. I hadn't sort of, um, I hadn't realised that, you know, because they're usually a few years apart, you forget how many of them have been forced out. Yeah, I mean, it is a very heavily politicised job, so it's perhaps not surprising. The current crisis at the Met has even led to suggestions that the force itself can't continue in its current form. One suggestion that was made to me by Sue Sim, who is another former chief constable, was that actually it's, and this has been mooted before, is it's actually time to break the Met up. There is a feeling in some quarters that the Met is just too big to handle. And then you could sort of reassess some of the problematic issues that you have within the force, whereas at the moment it's just this vast monolith that seems very resistant to change and quite insular. It's really important to emphasise that there are a lot of good police in senior management and beyond, you know, a lot of good serving officers on the beat doing a great job. I don't think anyone disputes that. But that doesn't also mean that there isn't a problem with its culture and with its leadership. I spoke to this one guy who was a former assistant commissioner at the Met and he pointed out that this actually could be an opportunity. It could be taken as a chance to look not just at misogyny and and the approach to policing women, but how do the police respond to digital crime? What's the effect of budget cuts been? And there have been many on the police. Is the police force we have today fit for the 21st century, fit for the increasingly diverse and complex society we live in? the kind of crimes people are doing now, our demands for diversity and sensitivity. Has it kept up with the world we live in? And in terms of understanding exactly what's gone wrong here, from all the people you were talking to inside the police, do they see this as an issue of vetting gone wrong, not enough vetting, or is this a cultural problem where people are turning a blind eye? You know, it really depends who you ask. But it's also clear that there's a bit of a cultural issue when you've got Wayne Cousins sharing those images with other people in his unit. And you also talk to people who will tell you, look at resignation rates, much higher for female officers than male officers across the force. Recruitment of female officers is better than it was, I think. Nationwide, about 30% of officers are female. But a lot of the women who've left the force will tell you, actually, you know, I didn't find mentors. 
I found it a struggle to get promoted. I didn't see a pathway to advancement. I felt like when I raised my voice, people didn't want to hear it. Cressida Dick will tell you something quite different, I think, that big improvements have been made. But you do hear this again and again from women in the force that, that there is still a boys' culture, there is still a boys' club, and that they don't always feel welcome or they don't always feel like this is going to be a career for life. Coming up, a former female police officer tells us about the culture she experienced inside the Met. But first... I'm Matt Chorley. I'm a columnist for The Times and presenter on Times Radio. And we try to cover all the biggest stories and bringing you politics without the boring bits. We can only do this thanks to subscribers of The Times and The Sunday Times. So subscribe today by visiting thetimes.co.uk forward slash stories of our times. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. We've been hearing from the Sunday Times special correspondent Josh Glancy about the culture of sexism and misogyny that still lingers in parts of the Metropolitan Police. One person who understands that better than most is Shabnam Chowdhury, who spent 30 years at the Met, rising to the rank of detective superintendent and becoming one of the force's most senior female Asian officers. So what was it like for her, as a woman, in a largely male-dominated police force. I think uh, for me, in my very early stages of policing, I remember there being sexism and it was what was described as banter that hasn't really properly been tackled over the years. And I think that that banter still exists. And for me, there is a huge culture within policing that needs to now address the way officers behave towards female officers. Give us a few examples of what sort of banter you heard during your time in the police. I mean, how bad was it? In more recent years, I led teams at a borough where I was working a lot with probationers. And there were some female officers that were upset because of comments were made about the tightness of their blouses and how they were fitted and rude comments about them that were inappropriate. Now, it doesn't necessitate that you go and sack officers. Really what it means is that when someone makes a complaint to you, you address it, you deal with it, you nip it in the bud, or you give some action to those individuals that are the perpetrators of that behaviour. How widespread were those attitudes? Did you feel uncomfortable at, at times when you were working? Personally, I didn't experience more sexism as the years went on, but that may well be because I became more senior. I went from DS to DI to DCI to detective superintendent, and therefore those sorts of behaviours would have not necessarily been in front of me. I do recall one incident, actually, back in 2013, when I was a DCI, actually, and I had an officer come into my office and I'd started cycling or something. And an officer came into my office and deliberately mentioned comments about scathing between your thighs and making sure that you don't wear a thong. But it was done 
in a way that I felt was to try and make me feel uncomfortable. And I literally stopped him in his tracks and said, stop, that's not a conversation that I want to be having with you. And he kind of smirked with it and then sort of walked out. So look, I challenge that. That doesn't mean to say that he didn't behave in those ways towards other female officers. But certainly for me, I think personally, it was a lot easier to address those situations. Perhaps it's because of the courage that I'd had over the years to challenge all the other kinds of behaviour towards me. And I challenged police officers in the very early stages of my policing career. And for female officers, you know, given that they're competing for the same roles, they're often not getting them. There's a real sort of sense of needing to prove yourself. Does that make it harder to call out a colleague's behaviour? I think it is difficult for females to challenge officers because I think there's that fear that one, they won't be believed, two, that they're going to be further victimised, three, that uh, they're not going to be taken seriously and four, that there is an issue, I think personally, amongst you know some of the senior ranks who try to brush such situations under the carpet. I'm not saying that this is all police officers, I'm saying that this does happen in pockets of policing But if it happens in pockets of policing, it's something that escalates further across particular policing environments. The case of Wayne Cousins has raised serious questions about police vetting procedures. How was a man like him able to slip through? The government says it's an issue that's already being addressed. The Met Police in particular have ramped up their vetting. So, for example, earlier this year, they started routine vetting of officers' uh, social media output uh, to make sure that they were picking up whatever intelligence they can. Look, there's going to be lots of lessons that we need to learn from this horrible episode. So what's been going wrong? Well, the vetting processes are very, very slow. Even when I first joined, it took nine months for the vetting processes to take place. They've probably taken even longer. I think that needs to be looked at. They need to look at aspects of the behaviour of officers, what type of person they are in terms of their personality, how they behave towards females, how they perceive women. But once they're into the service, they're not vetted again, unless they apply for a post that requires further vetting. So, for example, when I applied to work on the Olympics, I was given the highest level of vetting because I would be going into cabinet office for meetings and so on. I mean, to the point where they scrutinise every aspect of my personal life, my family life, my extended life, how I think, what I think, a deep dive into me, my personality and my background, including my finances and everything else. Once you're in, you're not further vetted. You should be reviewed every five years, but that doesn't happen because they've got such a huge backlog of the vetting to get police officers in in the first place. Because one of the surprising things with cousins is that you know he was actually part of this you know elite group he was part of the diplomatic protection group which would have required the highest level clearance so he would have been vetted quite thoroughly a lot of people will want to know how on earth the met would have missed this that is something that may well come out in terms of how well vetted he was i know that there was conversation in the early stages that he did receive the right level of vetting but that's another aspect that will probably get reviewed A lot of people have been blaming Cressida Dick for what happened. Given her position, I mean, is there anything she could reasonably have done in the case of Wayne Cousins? In fairness to Cressida, I don't think she could have done anything in terms of Wayne Cousins. Wayne Cousins, as I say, was a predator. 
Predators don't necessarily have it written on their forehead. They, they may not necessarily have signs. There may be some signs of inappropriate behaviour, his behaviour towards women, comments that he may well have made, but that would not give you any indication. I wouldn't have spotted that. You know, I left with 30 years service. I would have perhaps considered that he was a concern, but certainly not a concern to the degree of what he went on to do and subject Sarah Everard to. I mean, that case which, you know, has horrified the nation, you know, it caused a lot of anger amongst women who couldn't believe that this is still the way we live. You know, the idea that even a journey home isn't safe. The idea that you're not safe necessarily from the police who are supposed to be protecting you. And then, almost as if to make it all worse, when women came out and gathered to remember Sarah Everard, you know, sort of show solidarity, the policing of it caused even more anger. This at a time when we're told cousins probably used COVID restrictions as an excuse to arrest Sarah Everard. Suddenly the police were using COVID restrictions to quite violently at times arrest women at the vigil. I mean, do you think that was mishandled? Do you think it sort of shows something about how the police are, are getting women very wrong? It looked terrible across, you know, everywhere because it wasn't a protest, it was a vigil to pay respects to Sarah Everard. Subsequently, there was a complete review and Cressida Dick and the Metropolitan Police were vindicated of that. The outcome was that she took the appropriate action. It's a very, very difficult place for policing. It looked really bad. Women were manhandled. It was very unfortunate. But ultimately, the decision was made that it was the correct course of action. Looking at, at the institution more widely, do you think it shows us fundamentally sexist culture within the Met that's been allowed to build up and you know from your own time there has enough been done to try to turn it around? I don't think policing is sexist throughout but I think that the culture within policing has got to change. The attitudes and behaviours of officers whether it's towards victims and whether it's towards female colleagues has got to change. Now that's not going to suddenly change overnight Yes, this has eroded trust amongst communities and women and girls. But what is really important is that, in my experience, most cops are hardworking and good. And that trust, we want to build on that so that victims can come forward, so that they can report crime, but also in an environment where it's a safe space for them and that they are reassured by any and every officer that they come into contact with. Because this is one individual who has absolutely destroyed an entire police force by bringing shame on that service. What do you think does need to happen to protect victims and to make the police take sexual crimes more seriously, to change the culture, to make it less sexist? There needs to be a sea change in culture. They need to have a, a deep dive review, whether it's an independent review of policing, an overhaul of policing, so that pockets of policing where there's sexism, whether there's racism, are identified and further recommendations are made. And those recommendations are implemented. Officers within the organisation are supported. Male officers change the way they behave and are more respectful towards females, which will then have a ripple effect of how they deal with victims of crime. And I reiterate what I'm saying. As I say, majority of police officers are good, but there are those that may think they're above the law when it comes to the way they behave, and that kind of behaviour has got to be nipped in the bud.
That means senior officers taking allegations more seriously. The fact is that victims do feel like they're going to be isolated. They will hear stories from others who have said to them, look, I've reported something that I felt was really serious and it wasn't taken seriously. It went as far up to an inspector level and then it was basically brushed under the carpet. It won't have helped to see how Wayne Cousins was allowed to remain a police officer even after the most serious charges were brought against him. He didn't actually lose his job until he submitted a guilty plea, which has caused a lot of anger. Wayne Cousins pleaded guilty in uh, July, I believe, of this year to his heinous crime and he was sacked immediately. If he hadn't pleaded guilty... He would have remained as a serving officer and he would have remained a serving officer right through to trial because that is what the investigation processes within policing allow. The length of time it takes to investigate such allegations, they can take up to two years. And ultimately, there are officers that are sitting within the organisation who should clearly be sacked. Now, if you look at Wayne Cousins, that evidence and the fact that he was charged, he should have been sacked when he was charged, not when he pleaded guilty. There clearly has been some progress at the Met and other police forces in recent years, you know, enough to allow people like you to do well. But how big is the challenge that remains? I think the recruitment process is trying to get women into the careers development services. There's a lot of changes that have been made to help support women in policing. That I definitely would give a thumbs up to because I think that a lot has been done. But I think what's happened is there's this culture of behaviour that is brewing underneath. You know, the lid needs to come off that pot to help support officers far better than perhaps they have been supported. And I think it's a difficult time for policing. It's a difficult time for Cressida Dick, for example. The buck stops with her. There are lots of good things that are going on with policing, but I think that right now there's a bit of a mountain to climb. It's not easy to change a culture. Josh Glancy got a glimpse of the resistance to criticism within the force, when he wrote his piece about the Met for the Sunday Times. I've received a lot of criticism for this piece from police online. I think they felt under attack. You know, it's easy for us to sit here, our keyboard warriors, and say, oh, you know, you're all doing a rubbish job, and who protect? you know, why wouldn't anyone protect Sarah Everard when a lot of them are doing a really hard job in really difficult circumstances, and they're protecting us. And I tried to say to people, look, I, I, you know, it's not about individuals doing a bad job. There are cultural issues and leadership issues and, and funding issues, which is no one's fault with the government, that the police have. And don't, don't take it personally, effectively. But people do because it's hard. You know, if you've been out on the beat and you've, you know, had someone pull a knife on you or you've broken up some awful yeah. fight and been hit with a bottle or whatever it is. And then some bloke in the papers tells you that things aren't good enough. A lot of police feel that they're somehow being undermined and demeaned and what they do for everyone is being taken for granted. You know, you can see why you get cross about that. So how do you do it? How do you go about fundamentally changing the culture of an organisation like the Met without losing the support of its officers? I think there is a way of framing all this that it has to not feel like an attack and it has to all be caveated with genuine respect shown to the work and the service that people do in the police. It's hard work, it's tough work, it's going to attract tough people, a lot of them very courageous and civically minded, but it's also going to attack the odd wrong one. I mean, it's just, I mean anything will, but, but policing will because of, because of its nature. 
And I don't think you can avoid that. But what you can do is, again, change the culture, change the environment in which people are operating. And Josh, how political has the whole debate become? Do you think there's a genuine appetite within government to make the changes that are needed at the Met? And are they willing to look seriously at issues like police funding? Several people said to me, well, they think one of the reasons Cressida Dick is still in her job is because she's a human shield for yeah. the Home Secretary and for the Prime Minister. They can lump all the blame on her and it doesn't get to them. Now, that's maybe rather cynical, but, but you know, politics is a cynical game, so maybe that's a part of it. I don't think the Tories want to get into nine rounds with the police. I don't think they see a lot of political upside in that. And generally, with this government and with this Prime Minister, the feeling is, well, this is an issue that's exercising a lot of people who maybe don't vote for us anyway. If you did take a very serious look at the police and do the kind of root and branch reform that some people are advocating for, funding cuts would be a big part of that. The Met has had its funding cut quite drastically in recent years. There's, you know, obviously a chronic shortage of money in government at the moment. They're having to plug all sorts of holes in the economy because of the pandemic, because of Brexit, etc. So I don't think they really want to go there right now. What happens next? How does change happen? Are you confident that things will get better? I don't know that we're going to see any major structural change as a result of these events. I do think that it has a cultural impact. And I do think that the cultural weight of what happened to Sarah Everard will remain present in our public life and in the police as an institution. And what I mean by that is when they are in future looking at recruiting female officers, listening to female officers, when this issue raises its head again, actually this bloke, Mm. is sending out quite dodgy messages. I think people's antennae around that will be much sharper than they were previously. Because we were hearing in the aftermath of the Sarah Everard case, we were hearing policewomen saying they had found it difficult to report male colleagues because if they did, the entire team would turn on them. And it's put down to banter. It's put down to, oh, you can't take a joke. And the fear that most women police officers have got is that when you're calling for help, you press that emergency button on your radio, they're not going to turn up and you're going to get kicked in in the street. Which was really shocking, but presumably if one thing changes, you think that might be it? It might be easier to report? That's going to be a sort of cultural issue that's hard to overcome. Mm. But this case will serve, and Sarah Everard's death will serve as a symbol for a lot of people. And it might encourage others to come forward and it might encourage others to listen to those who are coming forward. You've been listening to Stories of Our Times, a podcast brought to you thanks to the subscribers of The Times and The Sunday Times, with me, Manveen Rana, and my guests, Sunday Times special correspondent Josh Glancy and former detective superintendent Shabnam Chowdhury. You can find all of Josh's work at thetimes.co.uk or in print on Sundays. The producer was Chris Wade. The executive producer today was James Shield and sound design was by Falcon Kisseltuk. If you'd like to get in touch with us with any thoughts on what you've just heard or any issues that you'd like us to look into, then do drop us an email at storiesofourtimes at thetimes.co.uk. Thanks for listening. See you tomorrow. <laughs>